Welcome to the 18th episode of Who's Editing, a thought experiment in which my guest and I appoint ourselves editors of a comic book line at DC Comics. But the joke's on us, because we can only use the characters of a specific issue of Who's Who, and in fact must use them! I'm Siskoid, the guy who says the same text every time, and I'll let you in on all the rules. But first, let's welcome my guest with which to create a line of books based on Who's Who number 18... Please welcome Max Romero to the show. Hi, Max. Hey, Siskoid. Happy to be here. Plastic Man <laughs> is the reason I invited you on this one. <laughs> oh, that was the first one I did. Because sometimes it's like when you're a fetish character, uh, you're invited because of that, on that pretext. Mm-hmm. And then, like, I, I'm thinking of Paul Hicks, for example, who I invited on the Doom Patrol issue. And then when he got to Doom Patrol, he didn't really have any ideas, kind of, he went like, oh, you know, I talk about Doom Patrol all the time. Skip it, you know, almost. <laughs> so uh, so sometimes it's like, well, the character you know so well may be the hardest to write for. But you went in, like, that was your first go. That was the first guy. That was the first one. And there were some that were difficult. Yes, let's talk about those challenges. Like, we thought this would be pretty easy, since it's mostly villains, and we'd have, like, a dozen entries or so, you know? But, uh No. that was not the case at all i think we both struggled i I know i did i struggled more than i thought i was going to there's a lot of phantoms do we Mm -hmm. connect them or not i'll see what you're what you did with it (laughs) phantom stranger and mark merlin are in this prince raman sorry they're essentially the same ghost breaker strip right (laughs) okay (laughs) i'm happy there's a lot of women in this but uh almost every human is white and even some aliens are white so mm-hmm. i don't know i don't know if you mixed it up a little bit but sometimes we add diversity to these things mm-hmm. because who's who didn't uh, right. all right so one more time here are the rules each episode of who's editing will go by our line of books must include a monthly series for every hero character or team featured as well as any non-hq location there is one here if two characters share an entry as happens here although <laughs> It's kind of the same character. We can give either a series, only one of them a series, or put both of them in the same series. And uh, we can give a villain or other entry their own series if we absolutely feel the need to. But we can only name a single villain from the issue to receive that honor. Imagine we're coming back from some crisis or other, so we can reboot characters or use any continuities version. It's really up to us. Titles don't have to match the entries. Note that we are each pitching our own ideas sort of end up with two possible lines of books. Listeners, you decide which books you would actually want to read. And we'll play that that same game as we each have enough money to buy one title from the other editor's line. Okay, tell me, Max, did you have a strategy, an overall strategy going into this? I kind of did. First, uh, and this happened pretty early on, my strategy was kind of to try very hard to ignore <laughs> most of the history for these okay. characters and just kind of think to myself, okay, if I heard this name, what would I think this character is like? I went in that direction and I also approached it from the perspective of what if the world changed and no one noticed? And, you know, as a lot of people have done, there is no Trinity in, in this universe. There's no Superman. There's no Batman. There's no Wonder Woman. Of course, there are analogs because, you know, how, how can you not <laughs> right. create analogs for those guys? And I also try to imagine a superhero community that was much more street level. Okay. Which isn't to say that there aren't some heavy hitters in here, but most of these heroes are more like golden age mystery men. And very few of them are what you would consider extraordinarily powerful. There aren't any Superman level heroes here, really. The majority of them would die if you threw them into space. (laughs) (laughs) 
So there's been like a secret crisis or something. Right. Yeah. No one on Earth realizes that there has been a crisis at all. This is just how life has always been. Gee, that that storm, it was weird. <laughs> <laughs> For me, I'm going of course I'm going to inject some there's no overall, you know, strategy really. Mm-hmm. I'm I'm injecting a little more diversity, but I think I'm unconsciously might have been inspired by Plastic Man as the marquee character of this issue to have some fun. I think I created more humor books than usual. Oh, nice. So with issue 18 of Who's Who, we are to include a minimum of 13 books in our line and a maximum of 15. That's if we get to 15 if two Prody <laughs> books somehow spawn out of this. Max, I'm going to hand it off to you first. And we'll do a bit of back and forth in entry order and keep our bonus villain book series, whatever, Mm -hmm. if we have one for the end. So it all starts with page one, Phantom Girl. What do you got? All right. Well, as as we kind of mentioned in the beginning, the real challenge here was all the phantoms in this book. (laughs) Um, (laughs) So it was tough to distinguish between Phantom Girl, Phantom Lady and Phantom Stranger, who will come up later. Without falling back on intangibility and shadow powers, which is a challenge that I set for myself for some reason, <laughs> much more difficult. So uh, my phantom girl, and remember again, I'm going with a with kind of a street level idea here. My phantom girl is Tina Wazowski. She's the teenage daughter of negligent parents who was practically raised by the streets of Southwest Chicago. She's unfailingly kind and generous in spite of her tough upbringing. Tina also leads a semi-secret life as a graffiti artist who uses the tag Phantom Girl. Usually doing her art at night, Phantom Girl is plugged into the good and bad going on in her city. Though she rarely goes looking for trouble, she can't help but get involved when it comes to helping the friends and neighbors of her community. Knowing this, people in need will often come to the smart and compassionate teen who isn't afraid to throw hands when she needs to. But she doesn't have any powers. None at all. Right. Okay. Really street level. I'm not afraid to say that I was very much inspired by Jim Rugg's Street Angel, which I don't know if you've read or not. No, I haven't. No. Yeah. But it's it's very much in that line. Okay. So I like it already. I think it, you, you've got like a, I don't know, like a more real world feeling to this line, maybe. I did not ignore past histories, uh, although... <laughs> with the text here is, of course, from 1986, 7 or whatever. <laughs> so it's not necessarily this text, but the entire history of the characters might come into it sometimes. Like First Phantom Girl, uh, basically, I'm. this is a takeoff of the Reboot Legion history. Uh, when that reality collapsed without warning, one of the plot threads w- that was left dangling was the story of Tina and Joe's superpowered baby. So I offered to finish that unfinished business in a book I call 31st Century Baby. This is a sitcom-style comic that stars Apparition and Ultra Boy as new parents to a baby who is developing strange and varying powers. And you got also Timberwolf as the gruff uncle who has feelings for Tinia and he can't act on them. Elevator Pitch is Jetsons meets that band Super Baby in the Microwave story <laughs> <laughs> with a dose of superhero action that could, I think, obliquely continue the reboot continuity. We'd, we'd see the rest of the Legion, and sort of, but that would be like in the background, a little bit like JLI is a sitcom with the superhero action is often given short shrift in favor of character development and jokes. That would be kind of that, but it's definitely the reboot Legion. Yeah, I like that because there there are so many, I, I can't even think of how many dangling <laughs> strings there are uh, out there in comics that, you know, I would really like to see kind of wrapped up or taken up. And, and, and that sounds like a great idea. Yeah. Can we return to an old continuity? I think uh, we can because Legion of Three Worlds kind of said, okay, no, they're on a certain Earth. They're the future of a certain Earth and we could 
you know, tap back into that. All right, so next up is the other phantom, the lady this time. So my new phantom lady is a combination of various previous iterations. My caller Sandra Knight, she's a member of the Starman family, and her side got rich off Cosmic Rod patents. She traded being the glamorous child of a super-rich family into stardom, becoming a jet-setter, a model, an influencer, followed by paparazzi everywhere she goes, and seemingly loving it. But using darkness projection and limited phasing tech derived from the Cosmic Rod, she manages to escape scrutiny and work Secret jobs for the U.S. government as the operative only known as the Phantom Lady. One of the things I liked about the New 52 revival was that she was paired up with Dollman. And I do that here, too, uh, with the series being officially called Phantom Lady. But for many issues, the title would seem to be Phantom Lady and Dollman, on the cover anyways, when warranted. He's an old friend, thought dead, but actually miniaturized, recruited by the same agency as a six-inch spy who hates his code name. <laughs> he jumps out of Sandra's purse and into action wherever their missions take them. And he's the only one she can actually share her secrets and feelings with. The series is about... Living your life under total scrutiny and what that might push you to do to claim a little privacy. So it's tapped into the now and the yeah. social media of the now. Yeah. Yeah, that's an interesting aspect of it. Yeah. But you completely reinvented the character, I imagine. Sort of. My Phantom Lady, see if this sounds familiar. Her name is Selena Kyle Pennyworth. <laughs> and she's, I wonder. And she's the only daughter of Alfred Pennyworth, the butler, chauffeur, and mechanic for the wealthy city leaders, Dr. Thomas Wayne, Martha Wayne, and their son, Bruce. Selena and Bruce are the same age. They grow up together in the Wayne Mansion until the entire Wayne family is gunned down in Crime Alley. Bruce doesn't get away this time. As she grows up, Selena is driven to first study the art of detection and then a variety of martial arts in order to start a one-woman war on crime as Phantom Lady. Alfred and Selena continue to live in the small house behind the mansion that served as the butler's quarters, while the mansion itself has become a city-run historical building. Alfred works as the mansion's caretaker. And Selena eventually becomes an attorney. Between Alfred's wages and what she earns with her law practice, Selena is able to cobble together a modest headquarters in the cave beneath the mansion grounds. Phantom Lady becomes a ghost stalking the city, relying mostly on her skills as a detective and street fighter to battle crime on the streets of Gotham. She is also one half of the world's finest as she often teams up with a certain superpowered hero. Hmm, I wonder which. <laughs> <laughs> so this is your Batman. This is my Batman. This is my Batman without money. Oh yeah, yeah. I, I like that because uh, you could have the same, essentially the same character, maybe without all the all the wonderful toys, <laughs> right? <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, no, I I like this connection to the. I like that this is is turning out to be. It's a little bit like Flashpoint, you know. The mm -hmm. certain certain characters were just not there, and there were replacements, but hopefully not as dark, right? Okay. Yeah, yeah. This is this is definitely more of an Elseworlds turn than <laughs> anything else. <laughs> All right. Well, there's a third Phantom. Oh yeah. <laughs> you have to do something with the Phantom Stranger. Okay. Be careful. This, isn't this one of our colleague Rob Kelly's favorite characters? Yes, this is one of his babies. I didn't stray too far from it. I, well, that's probably not true. Very little is known about this Phantom Stranger. Using information pieced together from rumor and gossip, most people believe the Stranger is a refugee from the 30th century a former member of the shadowy techno-occult group called the Dark Circle, who is either trapped on Earth or has chosen to stay in this timeline. Is he a prisoner or is he in hiding? No one knows. What is known is that after years of committing horrific crimes for the Dark Circle, the Phantom Stranger seems dedicated to redeeming himself by using his techno-occult abilities to nudge events that will affect the future in ways big and small. He also wants to prevent the Dark Circle from becoming the powerful secret society it is in the future. The Stranger worries, however, that his very presence in the past 
will prove to be the catalyst for the rise of the Dark Circle. Wow. I wasn't expecting you to go towards Allegiant with this one. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, researching the Phantom Stranger, the Dark Circle was an actual adversary of his, and they were from they were from the 30th century. Were they the, the same Dark Circle? Wow. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I wasn't aware. Yeah, so that wasn't actually that much of a reach. For me, uh, I, I, I admitted early on that, hey, I don't really know much about The Phantom Stranger. You know, I've read that Secret <laughs> right. Origins. I've read that first miniseries, the 80s one. I didn't read the series earlier much. So I feel like I was a little, oh, no, mm-hmm. this is Rob's baby, one of his babies. And I'm, <laughs> I'm like, oh, I'm going to be a fool. So <laughs> here's where I went. People always make jokes about the disco medallion, right? Well, what if the Phantom Stranger were a disco-era hero? (laughs) 1970s mystical hero who was also a demon on the dance floor and amazingly can figure out your astrological sign just by looking at you. I'm giving this a 70s exploitation vibe. Like, I'm, I'm thinking of, I've watched a lot of black exploitation films recently, especially like the supernatural ones. Uh, and so dude is like a local hero with a hangout. In his case, it's a discotheque where people approach him for help when the cops can't do nothing. And, uh, <laughs> he doesn't mind getting his fist bloody or having an affair, you know, here and there, but the threats he faces are supernatural and often satanic as per the horror films of the era. So I'm really going tapping into the pop culture of the early seventies elevator pitch Saturday night fever meets hammer horror Saturday night hammer (laughs) saturday night horror anyway that's my phantom stranger it's not a humor book you can tell where i'm sort of leaning already i I love it i love it that 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 is already an idea that i wish i had thought of it's all about the medallion (laughs) one more phantom actually phantom zone Mm -hmm. which is a place and we must cover it i decided never mind the villains my series is called phantom zone heroes and it reveals that when a character is erased from DC continuity, it leaves an impression of them in the ether. The character's ghost then lives in the Phantom Zone for a time. It's, it's not their actual spirit. You understand it? It's not a confirmation of anyone's true death or erasure. They don't want to impair any future projects. These heroes, these echoes of heroes, have a limited ability to interact with the real world. But they can at least under certain conditions, or if they're helped by magic users, okay, cue Phantom Stranger, you know. And they can also go up against similarly powered villains. Again, not the Kryptonians, but apparently dead or erased versions of supervillains. Our cast would thus feature characters like Matrix Supergirl, Charlton Era, Captain Atom, New 52 Robot Man, which I thought was a waste. <laughs> you know, it's so interesting, but then they did nothing with it. Right. The Son of Aquaman, Silver Age Bizarro, uh, Magic Cigar Perry White, <laughs> Any amalgam character, we know how them. And since time doesn't really work the same way in the Phantom Zone, you could have any number of legionnaires from various continuities or forgotten Golden Age heroes would fit in this as well. So there'd be like a rotating cast. It's up to the creative team just who will show up and for how long. And it'd be fun if uh, you had like a variant meet the current hero. Suddenly there's the current hero that's replacing them in continuity with the same name in a story after they've been resurrected sort of thing. So this would be sort of um, Limbo, you know, Grant Morrison's Limbo, the series is, is sort of what I'm doing with Phantom Zone heroes. Oh, that's very interesting. And, you know, it's it's different from what I came up with, but not that different in a, in a weird way. So what did you do? My Phantom Zone, since there is no Superman and I've... I never really decided whether there was a Krypton or not, but there is no Phantom Zone, at least not available to Earth. 
This phantom zone is an off-the-books office within the International Bureau of Intelligence, the premier spy network in the world. Covert ops and superpowered agents meet here, as well as investigations into the weird, the supernatural, and any kind of mystery that can be either turned into an asset, buried, or destroyed. The oldest and most renowned squad in the Phantom Zone is the Freedom Fighters, which is overseen by Deputy Director Jim Gordon, who himself reports to the IBI director known only as The Chief. Other agents include Manhunters Kate Spencer, Special Agent Lois Lane, King Faraday, and Colonel Hal Jordan. This is basically kind of an amalgam... Amal- this is basically an amalgam... <laughs> You're trying to say amalgamation. I'm going to say combination instead <laughs> of, <laughs> of all the various spy organizations uh, or bits and pieces of the various spy organizations that already exist in, in uh, D.C., which might, might make Ange happy. Yeah, he loves that stuff. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, and this, this will tie back to Plastic Man and also, you know, the Freedom Fighters. Is, it's going to be the modern version of, of Freedom Fighters minus Phantom Lady just because she is already called for. Oh, you just gave a hint about something you're doing at Plastic Man that I think I'm also doing. Uh-oh. Okay. Uh-oh. <laughs> Next up, Pig Iron. I think you've struggled with this one. I did, but once I got a hold on it, it became pretty easy, but it also got a little sad. Oh no. <laughs> so this is the only this is the only one like this. This is me kind of channeling black label and vertigo books. Oh God, with pig iron. <laughs> Forget everything you knew about pig iron. This is not that pig iron. Okay. At first, you know, I was going to take the easy route. I was going to, you know, keep pig iron as as he is, as a funny animals character and uh, fit him into an all ages comic. But as I mentioned, I decided to go <laughs> in a different direction here. So pig iron was originally known as Cliff Steele, a high speed air racer and hero of the black community who was thought dead after a devastating accident. What actually happened, though, was what was left of his body was bought by the ghoulish Professor Ivo, who transferred Cliff's consciousness into a monstrous metal body. Once awakened, the shock sent Cliff into a rage and he accidentally kills Ivo. After he comes to his senses, he turns himself in and is quickly found not guilty by reason of temporary insanity. Cliff goes on to live a lonely life of adventure and celebrity, using the public persona Pig Iron to question identity, masculinity, and what it means to be human in an inhuman form. So the uh, the upshot of this is a little bit of Frankenstein, a little bit of concrete. Oh, yeah, okay, okay. And you went and stole Robot Man from the next issue, uh, which is going <laughs> to make it harder for uh, myself and my guest. <laughs> because we got two Robot Mans oh. in, in that issue as well. Pig Iron for me is, no, a straight up, you know, cartoon animals. Uh, <laughs> Earthsea 2-in-1 is the title, trademark pending. <laughs> So it's a team-up book starring Pig Iron as the pseudo-thing, protector of Pigsburg, teaming up <laughs> with various animal superheroes, including his Zucru buddies, but also new anthropomorphic parodies of DC and even possibly Marvel and other heroes. It's uh, two-in-one, not just because of the team-up, but because there's always going to be a few pages devoted to Peter Porkchops versus <laughs> a wolf stories based on the old funny animal strip from which he came. He's the only Zucru member who had a life before that comic. Uh, I want to pay homage to that. And that strip will also introduce purely funny animal versions of the Zucru before they were superheroes. Oh, so nice. Give them a little a little golden age life in a way. Yeah. Uh, so that's my pig iron. That's nice. I think that, that is what people want from pig iron. <laughs> uh, probably. But, you know, uh, but I, I love some Cliff Steele. I love Robot Man. So under any other name, 
Mm-hmm. You know, that is still an interesting series on your end. Now I've unlocked my humor books in a way <laughs> as we head into Plastic Man. So sorry, I get to go first on this one. The age old question is Plastic Man a normal man in a crazy world or a crazy man in a normal world? Right? DC's done both. I know your preference, or I think I remember your preference. Mm-hmm. What am I going to do? Personally, I liked the Phil Foglio miniseries Contention, that he saw the world through cartoon-colored goggles. Mm -hmm. And I'm doing that, and would even have that reality check page every so often, by by the likes of Kevin Nolan, that show what things really look like. But Plaz would still be pretty reasonable, and his world would be crazy, especially the villains and threats. I was looking at clips from the old cartoon show for inspiration— and I would, for example, use bad guys like like that evil pirate clam. <laughs> so when you do the reality check, you know, at that moment, and it's still a clam in a pirate hat, it's, it's particularly <laughs> insane. So that's what I'm tapping into, the weird visuals. You know, that's what made Plastic Man Plastic Man originally. Further, I would have Plastic Man working for the female chief. Uh, well, is mm-hmm. that what you were hinting at earlier? Mm-hmm, from the animated series. I mean, she was hot. <laughs> and I'd have a love triangle between him, her, and Penny. Mm. Down the line, Penny will win, and baby Plaz will be born. And there's a friendship triangle between Plaz, Wizzy Winks, and Hula from the cartoon. Oh. The latter two are like rivals to Plaz's attentions. So it's superhero adventure, but once again, strong humor content. And I, I almost fear that I've I've sort of stolen your thunder by picking some characters from the cartoon show no no actually you're, okay. you are okay the only one and yes i was hinting at the at the cartoon chief in, in in that uh in that phantom zone entry but that was it that was the only one okay so you're plastic man my guess was you know normal man in a crazy world kind of this is actually more of kind of a golden age plastic man where crazy things are going on around him but he is basically the the straight man and this is a place where the crazy things that are happening to him are are not always necessarily funny. Our Plastic Man's origin is almost exactly the same because that is just a perfect origin. I have no notes. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, he's a notorious gangster who shot during a heist. He's doused in experimental chemicals. Kindly monk. And he dedicates his life to doing good. Uh, only in this version, O'Brien joins the military to fight during World War II. He is quickly recruited into military intelligence and given the code name Plastic Man. He fights the good fight against fascism for the army, then as an agent of the National Bureau of Intelligence, and occasionally on loan to the OSS, where he is part of a covert squad known as the Freedom Fighters. It's during one of these missions where Plaz is frozen and shattered by time-traveling would-be despot per Degaton. Lying at the bottom of the Atlantic, Plaz finally manages to pull himself together only to find it is decades later and that he is now a man out of time. Only his good humor, the loyal friendship of hard-drinking, hard-fighting Wolfgang Woozy Winks, and a new purpose with the now International Bureau of Intelligence helps him make the transition. And he'll need all the help he can get when his new freedom fighters try to stop a global fascist militia movement masterminded by an apparently never-aging per degaton. So this is, I, you can see I pulled from a lot of different places. <laughs> I uh, pulled from All-Star Squadron. Uh, there's some Captain America in there and his own yep. story uh, from JLA. Oh, okay. Yeah. I, I knew you would do Plastic Man proud. <laughs> you know, well, you know, that's a whole rant of mine. So I'm going <laughs> to, yeah. I won't get into it. But, you know, but it's also, um, you know, I do, in spite of the heavy description, I do see it as being a kind of a lighthearted book because he is still, Plastic Man, and he is a lighthearted guy. That's how he approaches life. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Next up, 
Polar Boy. What do you have for him? Okay, this one I struggled a little bit with, but I decided to go with an all-ages book featuring the misadventures of Thomas Kalmaku, a 10-year-old Inuk boy who lives in the Arctic region. We'll see Tommy as he drives his loving parents to distraction, is spoiled by his feisty grandparents, and explores the village he calls home. We'll also see him spend his days with his best frenemy, Carol Ferris, the daughter of bush pilots who live nearby. The uh, big touchstone for this, of course, was Calvin and Hobbes. So very much like a uh, all ages, mm-hmm. cartoony kind of, okay, I, I'm still on the humor train. So uh, <laughs> the, the comic is called Polar Boys Nonstop Christmas. <laughs> it's a comedy in which Polar Boy finds himself at Santa Claus's version of the North Pole. Saint Nick has to leave on a quest of some sort and Polar Boy makes a promise to keep things going in his absence. Hilarity ensues. I propose that the only way Santa can leave gifts all over the world in one night is that the North Pole is timeless, which would allow Polar Boy to have misadventures across time in any era and interact with not just legionnaires, but contemporary superheroes or heroes from the past, anything. I say interact, but, you know, it's something like he's trying to sneak into Wayne Manor, you know, <laughs> to leave a gift or something. <laughs> So he's quite, quite out of his depth. Clordney was never this complicated. It's kind of the tagline. All year Christmas. It's a Christmas special all year round. I, I think <laughs> yeah. it's never been done. Has it? No, I don't think it's been done. So I don't think so. <laughs> let's Unless do it. The Hallmark Channel. Power Girl. Pretty simple pitch on my end. Throw money at Jimmy Palmiotti and Amanda Connor <laughs> so that they can just do more PG stories. They only gave us 12 issues last time, and the series was never as fun or pretty after that. So I just want an expanded role for Power Girl's Manji Cat. Uh, I want more appearances by Vartox as the Maxima yeah. to her Superman. I'd love some world's finest action with the Huntress. And a mentor relationship with Supergirl. But essentially, just the 2009 series continued. Boom. Done. (laughs) Nice. For me, obviously, this Power Girl is actually Power Woman. And she is the Superman and Wonder Woman of this world. Okay, both. Yeah. She was, you know, rocketed from a dying planet through extra-dimensional space as an infant. And uh, lands on the hidden island of Themyscira, where she's raised by Amazons. Soon becomes apparent that young Danae, which is what they name her, is something special even on an island populated by the best warriors in the world. As soon as she's old enough, uh, Dene sets out to complete her mission to bring truth, justice, and peace to man's world. In her secret identity, Dene is Diana Starr, a photographer for the Daily Planet. As Power Woman, she protects her adopted city of Metropolis with the help of her friend, Air Force vet Etta Hard Candy. She still has her magical bracers and lasso of truth, but also the solar-powered abilities of Golden Age Superman, including super strength, a certain level of invulnerability, and super senses. She can't, however, fly, relying instead on leaps that can clear a tall building and her invisible plane. Her boob window has been replaced with a starburst design honoring her lost planet. She often partners with Phantom Lady as one half of the world's finest. I guessed that you know, Power Girl would be the other half. Yeah, but, of course. But, but not what you did with it. That This is an ex- interesting Elseworlds. Now the Trinity's all replaced. I don't know if you mm-hmm. got any other replacements coming up, but you got a good foundation. Yeah, I hope so. Yeah, I'm just vamping while I pull up my notes for <laughs> Pow Wow Smith, who was, who was not an easy character to do for either of us no what did you come up with in the end as you mentioned this was a difficult one and a lot of it had to do with that name (laughs) yeah oh no i i I cut out the name for sure yeah and (laughs) (laughs) that name was just such a roadblock for me so what i came up with is that our powwow smith is actually paula nampeo amador who is a latina first nations investigator in 1920s el paso texas she is the, the daughter of a tiwa father and a mexican mother 
And uh, she was briefly married as a teenager in an arranged marriage to American Albert Smith. Albert was killed by a stray bullet during a skirmish in 1916 between Pancho Villa and American soldiers. With her family already sympathetic to the Mexican revolutionaries, Paula joined the revolutionary fighters and eventually became one of the legendary Adelitas, female soldiers who often fought alongside the men. After the war, Paula came back to El Paso and put her skills to work, often in aid of the Mexican and First Nations communities ignored by the white powers that be. Paula gained the nickname Powwow from people who had trouble in pronouncing her actual name, and she renamed her business Powwow Investigations in Defiance. This is a weird Western tale. And it's going to be called, I mean, the comic is called Powwow Investigations? <sighs> you know, you caught me because I could not think of it. <laughs> yeah, no, it's tough. For it. It's tough. Like, I like your cultural angle. I, I brought some of that to this. Of course, obviously, this is a First Nations character. Mm-hmm. I want to honor that. But he's got a racist name. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, no way in 2022 am I going to have a comic called Powwow Smith. <laughs> no. Instead, I offer, mine is called Blood Gulch. So it stars the modern day. Oye is a Smith, as pictured in, as an appearance in Robin Annual number six. That's uh, when they did the Pulp Heroes annuals. Yeah. Pretty fun story in which there's a modern powwow Smith and a modern Nighthawk who help Robin and Huntress fight modern criminals who are have based themselves on the Trigger Twins in Gotham Gulch, a Western theme park near Gotham City. So that's the DNA of my series. Smith is a U.S. Marshal. He's working out of uh, South Dakota where Blood Gulch is a small town that contains and services a movie set slash theme park experience that brings in a lot of money and therefore a lot of criminals. As often as possible, criminals based on concepts from DC's Western comics. Mm-hmm. It's Justified meets Westworld, maybe? I don't know. But And this is based on my own upbringing, living one house down from a reservation. Native territory is adjacent to Blood Gulch, and the population there sees Smith as either a role model or a sellout, depending on each person's attitudes. So there's extra conflict and there's cultural flavor and, you know, try to get a writer who is First Nations in mm-hmm. there and that understands this experience, etc., which isn't a given. We struggled, but I think we both got something interesting out of it and, you know. Yeah, just that name. <laughs> Oh, that name. <laughs> but then our troubles weren't over because the next, oh. character, yeah. char- next character is a damn Omega Man. Primus. <laughs> well, don't tell anyone, but mine is basically a Star Wars comic mm-hmm. uh, with the numbers filed off. Um, Primus is going around the known universe seeking young people with mutant psionic powers and taking them into his care. Imagine we're sort of seeing the origins of the Jedi Order. Why are there so many kids suddenly exhibiting sonic powers? Well, there's, I guess you could call it a force, but I'm going to say a presence or an entity that is making that happen through an immense psionic field. It's part of the series that Primus uncovered this mystery. So it's about him, but we develop his small number of students. And of course, there are those like the Scions who use the <coughs> presence for their own ends and create a psionic army for the... <coughs> Dark side. So, <laughs> well, look, the Citadel was always the Empire, and the Omega Men were always the rebels. Yeah, I'm just, I'm just focusing the lens <laughs> differently, but it was always a, a Star Wars ripoff. It was always Star Wars with superheroes. That's true enough. Okay, so what did you do with with the name, if not the character? You know, you you hit that nail right on the head because that is what I did. If your pitch is Star Wars with the numbers filed off, mine is the Fourth World wrapped in masking tape. <laughs> this is, oh, okay. My Primus is, was once a simple citizen of New Genesis named Pren. 
Pran lived a happy life until the crisis caused the fourth world to collapse upon itself, inexplicably leaving him as its only survivor. Pren wakes from a coma after floating for months in the vacuum of space and instantly goes nearly mad. Somehow he has absorbed the consciousness of every living person on New Genesis. Willing himself through the strain with the help of the disembodied voices of the new gods, Pren assimilates the billions of minds and becomes the cosmically powerful entity known as Primus. Primus seeks to answer the puzzle of the latest crisis while also protecting the universe from his counterpart from Apocalypse, who is known only as the Hunger Dog. Oh, so he's maybe the only one who knows, who remembers the secret crisis. That is possible. Yeah. He's the only character that I have who has any kind of connection to the world before. It makes sense for the fourth world. It was the fourth world was born out of the third world. Maybe this is the fifth world mm. in a way. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Uh, I'm into it. Next up. <laughs> just gets better. <laughs> Prince Raman, Mind Master, or Mark Merlin, as he was before. You know, this is already <laughs> right. a character that was revamped. And yeah, they really did a number. Like, oh, what's better than Mark Merlin? How about Prince Raman? <laughs> oh, yeah, okay. That, Whatever. You know, that name didn't help either. I just, I kept thinking like it was, you know, a, a soup place. It's just. <laughs> I, that this is part of my pitch. So. Oh, God. Watch for it. <laughs> what about yours? You know, I, I. I strayed, but not too far. Mark Merlin is an amateur magician and the inheritor of his beloved uncle's antique shop. Still recovering from a breakup with his longtime boyfriend, Mark buries himself in work by clearing out decades of inventory in the back of the shop. Uh, when he comes upon a battered lamp, he laughingly rubs it for luck and is shocked when an actual genie-like being springs from the antique. The creature introduces himself as Prince Raman and winkingly gives Mark three wishes. Wishes. Which is, that would be something. Mark first wishes for actual magic powers, and then he asks for understanding of the unseen world. That wish allows him to see that Prince Raman is not as benevolent as he seems, and wishes only to escape his prison to wreak havoc on the world once more. For his final wish, Mark says he, quote, wants to contain Prince Raman before he can harm anyone. Genie wishes being what they are, Prince Raman merges with Mark, who must now live with the sorcerer constantly within his mind. A helmet with magical properties is the only thing that can keep Mark from losing his sanity, and together Mark Merlin and Prince Raman become Dr. Fate. Fate is also a member of the Council of Three, a duty he shares with Tracy 13 and Ali Kazoom. Okay, do you call the series Dr. Fate, or Mark Merlin, or what is it? See, you keep catching me. Why well, have not thought about titles for this? <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I'm just an old hand at it. I keep changing the titles because I don't want to. I don't want all my books to be in the same alphabetical section of the stands. Right. <laughs> I, I think I would, this would probably be called Fate, not Doctor Fate, just Fate. Okay, yeah, I think that that would be like a broader concept that works well here. Mm -hmm. And I think Mark Merlin is a lot smarter about genies than most characters. <laughs> <laughs> Mine is Mark Merlin. I wanted to do a book about the refugee crisis. So Mark Merlin is an Americanized name of a refugee from Curac, trying to live his life in America while under surveillance from the authorities. Uh, the path to citizenship being a difficult one. And he's haunted by what happened in his native country. As we'll explore in flashbacks, he has escaped a genocide in Kurak, one conducted via supernatural forces by President Marlowe's cabal of necromancers. Monster shades were released uh, and unleashed on his village, and only he made it out alive. But these creatures from hell have followed him to America and are relentless because of the terms of their devilish contract with the necromancers. So it's a big problem in hell. Mm. But if Mark has an edge, it's because he's not exactly lacking in magical tricks himself. 
And I should mention, yes, you know, I was wary of doing this massive pun, but I'd still put it in the series. <laughs> Mark Merlin, by day, runs a little international food store called Prince Ramen, as in the noodles. It's popular with the college kids, and I want to be able to use the concept to create a varied supporting cast of campus, townies, immigration officials, yeah. characters you can care about, so that e even the thought of Mark leaving or being deported holds some weight. You don't want to lose that. The shades are after him, but maybe they're going to they're gonna get other characters. So that's what I'm doing with Mark Merlin. That is a really smart way to use that Prince Ramen. <laughs> I wish I had thought of that. That was you almost did. That, well, you know that was such a stumbling block for me. That was that was tough. The other Mark is Mark Shaw, privateer. So this this was uh, I thought well he's a villain here. He was like an antagonist at this point when the entry came out, and there are other characters in the issue that sometimes had you know. Uh, a, a little redemption, a little, you know, plastique or mm -hmm. Pied Piper. But I felt like Mark Shaw Manhunter was had his own book. Is he's still around? He's still a, a player, mm -hmm. you know, today. So I felt like we needed to include him, Privateer, or Startsar, or, <laughs> or Manhunter. No. Yeah, no, it's got to be Manhunter. Mark Shaw's series, as it existed before, I felt it lost its appeal when it lost Doug Rice mm. as its artist. He brought a very different. Japanese influence, and there's even a story where Mark drives a sort of Manhunter mech. So my Manhunter series is essentially a Super Saiyan book wow. with all the manga influences we can bring to it, high-octane action, super tech, giant monsters and robots, all the trimmings, including making Mark Shaw Asian-American. Shaw is actually is, is a name often, you know, an Americanized name often used in, in the West. So uh, he can still be an international man of mystery, but he doesn't operate in the shadows because this book is way too splashy for that. Nice. What did you do with him? I'm going to go ahead and reveal that this was the last one that I did because I was having some real trouble with all the identities <laughs> and, and how to kind of reconcile all of those. This was one where I just said, I'm just going to go by the name. I'm just, <laughs> just going to see what happens. And so I, I am going to tell you right now, I blatantly ripped off Corsair from Marvel. Mark Shaw is a space pirate, a buccaneer of the seven galaxies and former Earthman who was abducted by aliens one night and then refused to leave. Now a self-styled privateer, Mark Shaw sails the stars in his ship, the Manhunter. He usually conducts business with planetary governments and royalty who need someone with his convenient lack of concern for self-preservation, though he isn't above the occasional smuggling job. He also has to watch his back as he's pursued by Guardians, agents of the Star Sar. That's harder to say than it looks. A monarch whom Shaw either robbed, insulted, or both. Shaw is mum on the subject. Privateer has been known to associate with the habitual offender called Prody, who we'll hear more about right in a second. So yeah, this is obviously a tongue-in-cheek kind of book. This is just high adventure, uh, winking at the camera sort of stuff. I think it's a good idea to, you know... <laughs> Because I think Corsair, the uh, what, what's the team called? The Star... Um, Star Jammers? Star Jammers. I, I think that that would be like a fun cosmic book. It's sort of been replaced in the minds of readers by the Guardians of the Galaxy, you know. But mm -hmm. Star Jammers are kind of the originals in a way that, you know, could have been used that way. So I like a series in the DC Universe, which has a, a very good cosmic world as well. But the connection to Prody intrigues me. Prody is the last hero... Not the last entry we're going to cover, but it is the last hero in the book. There are two of them. <laughs> we could have done two Prodi series. Right. I don't think we're that insane, are we? No. <laughs> I'm not. <laughs> okay, no, neither am I. So what's your Prodi series? 
well, first of all, Prote is is still a shape shifting alien from the the race known as the Proteans. He has a, the ability to adapt to any environment and take any form. And it, Proteans are especially well suited to space travel. Prote, which is a name generally considered to be an alias, is no exception and is constantly wandering from planet to planet and spaceport to spaceport looking for his next score. Prote is a well-known scoundrel and con artist who uses their shape-shifting and low-level psychic abilities to take full advantage of any situation. While often on the wrong side of the law, Prote never knowingly hurts anyone and every once in a while actually does the right thing. Just don't tell anyone he's got a reputation to keep. Wait till you hear mine. Um, oh <laughs> <laughs> At some point, Booster Gold retires, changes his name, goes back in time a few years, has a family. So this, this comic is the story of his son, Rip Hunter, who, age 12, jury rigs his first time machine. It's not much of a rig, but it brings back a small protean called Prote from the future. The book, Rip Hunter's Pet Superhero. The premise, <laughs> Rip, Rip doesn't know his dad is a superhero, okay? He might find out during the series, but he's obsessed with them. So each issue, young Rip lives vicariously through the superhero identities Prote assumes each issue, acting as a sidekick to all his favorites. So is Superman acting weird? Maybe he's Prote. <laughs> so Prote itself will grow over time, learning lessons from the heroes it incarnates. Uh, but it's mostly to be, you know, a lighthearted adventure with plenty of potential for humor. Not just from misunderstandings caused by the Protean imposter, but Rip's further time travel experiments, the JLI connections. You know, there's plenty to play with. You know, it's not a Calvin and Hobbes, but it's my closest <laughs> in that genre. <laughs> yeah, no, it sounds like fun. And that brings us to the bonus book. Prote was page 25 and the rest is all the villains. A lot of villains, yeah. yeah. I had a number of ideas for my bonus book, but I ended up picking Punch and Julie. Seeing as the Joker has become increasingly toxic and people agree that Harley's better match is Poison Ivy, I would take Punch and Julie and give them the series one might have made with the Joker and Harley Quinn in the 90s. Mm. Except Punch doesn't ever mistreat Julie. So they remain villains, but they don't really see it that way because they are completely insane. They seem to have a house in the suburbs, but it's a gated community of mostly retired supervillains. I want to see those barbecues. <laughs> they just had a baby and uh, they've moved there. And in their heads, they're just they're going shopping, but really it's robbery. Yeah, or they're going on supervillain, a supervillain date, and they need a babysitter. And so they go to the teenage daughter of the sports master, you know, in the same. Yeah. And she's very normal, and she can't take the baby's chaos genes, stuff like that. It's another comedy book, I admit, that's we're on the pile. The crossover event of the year will have Baby Punch... Ultra Baby and Baby Plaz teaming up on Christmas and making Polar Boy miserable, probably. Uh, that sounds great. I also thought of something with the Pursuer or with the, you know, there, there are others that the names, you know, Poison Ivy has a book now that could have been a natural. Pied Piper was a more heroic at some point. There are many opportunities for books. Mm -hmm. So which one did you pick? Well, you know, I went back and forth, but the one that actually kind of hooked me was Phobia. Because I realized that I have, even though some of these are a little, a little dark, uh, I did not have any horror books. And one of the things that I like about Golden Age going into early Bronze Age comics is that there was a little room for everything. And so that's what I tried to do here with some superhero books, some detective books, some spy books, some space books. And in this case, Phobia is the um, host and sometimes antagonist of a horror anthology named The House of Fear. 
So we're, we're going to be adding oh. a third house to the houses. Phobia is a host in the tradition of Cain and Abel, the three witches of the witching hour, and Uncle Creepy. Every issue will include four to five short tales of terror, as well as a page featuring some dark humor strips in the style of Sergio Aragones, and a brief description of a clinical phobia, preferably referencing something from that issue. The House of Fear and Phobia will occasionally make an appearance in the DCU at large, but for the most part, the title is largely self-contained. Clever, and uh, and you did get some three witches in there. <laughs> <laughs> I find, yeah, I did. <laughs> that no, I, I like this this idea. When you're just looking at the title, sometimes it unlocks something. Mm-hmm. That the character doesn't. So I think that that's what's happened here. All right. Well, finally, let's follow that well-established tradition that states we only have enough money to buy like eight bucks for one series from the <laughs> other editor's line. I don't know how costly they, they're getting. So which one will it be? What would you buy from my line? Hands down, Disco Phantom Stranger. <laughs> 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 no doubt at all in my mind. I love that concept. I love that era. Grindhouse, black exploitation, everything coming out of that 60s and 70s, you know, era is just really something that uh, I always enjoy, find continually fascinating. And the idea of the Phantom Stranger <laughs> being a part of that just tickles me to no end. The Phantom Stranger is P.D. Wheatstraw. (laughs) (laughs) The book I picked from your line has a similar tone (laughs) in a way, I think. (laughs) The early front runner was Power Girl or Power Woman. Mm -hmm. But um, you won me over with Privateer. Ah. Space opera, winking at the camera, uh, doesn't take itself too seriously, roguish, Star-Lord, Han Solo. All of them, yeah. All of them wrapped into Mark Shaw somehow. I think that's the one that, that got my attention that I would want to read every month. Well, dear listeners, it's time to go to fireandwaterpodcast.com. Tell us what you think. Would you read any of these books? If you were in charge, what series would you offer using these characters? And if you like this content, think about visiting our Patreon page at patreon.com slash fwpodcasts. Like Diablo Frank, who sponsors this show. I hope you had fun, Max. I had a ton of fun. This was great. A couple weeks ago, we had a new uh, Human Fly podcast come out mm-hmm. and that's still on track for like what monthly it is and we are over the hump with human fly there's only 19 issues and uh next up will be issue 11 oh yeah getting so close to the end yeah or is, it feels like it <laughs> so thanks for trying the experiment with me until next time who's editing we, we are, are. Is this basically you guys offering me the role of Plastic Man? It is truly a real goal of mine to play this character because, and let me tell you why, I'll even make the pitch now. He's a thief. He starts out a thief. Yes, he goes into a vat of something that turns him insane, but he starts as a thief. How, a thief, how fun to follow the storyline of someone that once they get superpowers, maybe doesn't really want to be a superhero, but continue to thieve.